Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast, bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David and Zach. Did you guys do anything fun this weekend? Describe fun. Yeah, I feel like that's a loaded question. When you have two, <laughs> when you have two kids at home, as you know, Kyle, there is no such thing as a weekend. Um, basically, it boils down to you sit down with the kids and play with them from seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night, and then when you finally get them to sleep, you have basically a decision to make: Do I stay up really late and enjoy myself, or do I go to sleep and catch up on the sleep that I probably need? Now, Saturday night, I stayed up playing video games until two o'clock in the morning and I woke up on Sunday morning and I was like, why did I do that to myself? So the five hours of relaxation that I got was actually a negative result because I felt bad on Sunday for doing it because I woke up at like 6 a.m. No, probably like 5.45. Um, and this house is, is, is a little intense because I've got a three-year-old who were potty training slowly because he's being stubborn about it and i have a baby that spits up after she eats quite a bit so she has to sit up so it's like i gotta try and balance here so at 5 45 in the morning on sunday after staying up until two o'clock playing video games i was downstairs in the bathroom with my kid sitting on the potty um horrible life decision um i thought it was great in the moment so to, to so to answer your question no i did not have a fun weekend <laughs> Let's be clear, the life decision you're talking about is staying up late playing video games, not having children, right? No, the, yeah, yes, it was staying up playing video games. I don't know. Uh, I they, they both sound kind of questionable to me. But. Well, <laughs> just, just so the listeners know, I am sitting on a ticking time bomb known as my daughter behind me in this room, actually, as we record. My wife is working, and I am solo dad tonight. Uh, so if you see a three-month-old child pop onto the screen this week, uh, it's just because... Uh, that's that be the ways this week <laughs> feel you man i feel you well we took the kids to shenandoah valley and did some hiking so i know it's the infant stage is is tough but once you get once you get a little bit older then you can actually have some fun with them i mean i shouldn't say that we we brought the kids to see toy story uh at a drive-in uh, last night on sunday okay. night right, um, cool. yeah it, yes and no it, it is you know it's like uh Drive-ins are great. It's just uh, getting the kids to sit down for those, like uh, for the hour and a half and like not be restless is tough because we've got a new van. So the, like he thinks he can walk around in it. So, um, but we, it was fun. So Sunday was fun. S- Saturday night was a bad life choice by me. Yeah. You know, uh, getting the kids to actually like pay attention to TV seems like it should be easy, but there's a reason that Thomas the Tank Engine is six minutes long per episode. <laughs> is, is that really how long it really? is? Yes, the, it's the, really short. Yeah, the original ones are about that. Um, the newer animated ones are like a little bit longer, but most kids shows are ten minutes or less. I didn't. Yeah. Know, are they just like all commercials? Like what? No, they do like like segment. Uh, they're like segmented. Yeah, like there's yeah. multiple. There's multiple. Like if you see Thomas the Train on TV and it's a thirty minute episode, say it's really like four episodes in one with six minutes of commercials. Yeah. So oh, so wow. when I was growing up. Oh man, the man's oh, got a go. prop. Holy wow. Shit. Oh you know, wow. When I was growing up. Um but yeah, so it was divided into segments. So you had the you had the segments with the, the models, 
right? Which were what everybody wanted to see because it was really awesome, you know, back in the early 90s growing up watching it. With and Alec Baldwin doing the, the narrating. Right, exactly. Then you had with George Carlin, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you had the live action segments with the, the the act of the kids, and George Carlin was there too in his conductor uniform. And so that was it was like always the the train station, and they would like you know there would be some story and some life lesson. Oh man, that that takes me back. Uh, what is it? Uh, Henry in the tunnel. He wouldn't come out because the rain would spoil his paint. Oh yep. man, that was. I'm not uh, gonna lie. Uh, I was not expecting that Thomas the Train to come up. <laughs> I also learned something new today. I didn't realize. I, I mean, I watched it when I was a little kid, but I didn't know that Alec Baldwin and George Carlin were in it. That's yeah, yeah. That's a hot fact of trivia, right? Yeah, there. when it came over, it started in the UK. When it came over to America, they tapped George Carlin to be the narrator. I mean, George <laughs> Carlin is awesome. So yeah, <laughs> but like, you don't really, you don't really think like a kids show, and then seven words you can't say on TV. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it's not a little at bit. All. The, what, what, what I remember George Carlin for is definitely not Thomas the Tank Engine. No, Thomas the Tank Engine primarily, no. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not Alec Baldwin either. It's a, no. it's a long way from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, <laughs> while we're down this off-topic rabbit hole, I do want to say rest in peace to Alex Trebek uh, as for we discussed sure. this. Because, like, we're talking about, like, iconic people and things like right now, and I don't know if there's anyone that could ever fill those shoes. Like, I've thought about it. I'm sure whoever fills his shoes is basically going to crap their pants forever because that guy was like the consummate like pro. Like that is like, he was the guy like that. That is like the guy that we all grew up and watched jeopardy for years and years. And uh, he's going to be truly missed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Sean Connery and Alex Baldwin in the space of a week. Uh, no, uh, I'm Alex sorry. Trebek. I'm not Alec Baldwin. Alex Trebek. Wow. Oh, yeah. still, still got my brain oh, on boy. Alec Baldwin. Please yeah. don't wow. die, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. That is dead um, brain for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's actually talk about Legion. So let's do some housekeeping real quick. Housekeeping. So we mentioned this last week, but we do have some new products up on the site, some GW stuff, paints and pre-orders for some new miniatures, check those out at thefifthtrooper.com slash shop. You can also uh, support our Patreon. If you like this show, if you like the Fifth Trooper show, if you like any of the blog stuff we write, uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon. So, all right, let's hit the news. Welcome to In The News. So last week we talked about some prime championships in Australia. Correct. I understand you got a little update on that there, Michael. Um, yeah, I mean it's not a huge update, um, but so these these primes, it turns out, are the remnants of canceled primes from last year, um, and so they are basically like they I they have world invites in the the packs and stuff so i think i think it's totally legit um i mean it, it what it isn't is it is not the precursor to a new prime season which is important and relevant um but it's uh it's good that you know um people are actively playing and getting um invites to worlds whenever <laughs> that ends up being um whether it be this year or 2025 um and uh so that's i mean it it's good that people are getting legion back on the table um so good on australia um i hope everybody does well 
you know, clearly only one person can win, but I'm sure everybody will have a great time. So, um, yeah. Yeah, just to be playing in person Legion right now is a huge win. They also, uh, they, I also saw some pictures on Facebook from an Australian store, whether it's one that's holding this prime or not. And they got a big restock of phase twos, it looked like, along with some other product. So, I mean, if this prime, I know there's one that was played and I think there's another one coming up. Uh, and so, I mean, people might be able to get units that they weren't, you know, getting. I think there was AATs. Um, I saw some, I saw some uh, Anakins and malls in there obviously those won't be legal but they were on the shelf and you know um, they might not be for sale i'm not saying they're for sale but i'm just saying they got a big stock order whatever store that was big stock order um which is good especially if they're playing in person again out there like that's that's like really big turns out that was just australia's first shipment like it took it took that long to get the first shipment of phase two i mean (laughs) yeah i mean it kind of feels like that i'm not gonna lie um Maybe they were like, oh, let's just hold off from Maul and Anakin and send them all at once. And it was like the greater plan. We didn't know about it. But um, yeah, it's it's good to see that if you weren't able to get your hands on those products and you have this prime coming up, you're 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 good to go. I think I might have even seen B2s in there too. Yeah, like, there, there, was there a, definitely was some B2s in there. there were yeah, B2s, yeah. I, I, I like scanned it quickly and I was like, wow, it's a pretty good stock update. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is that like, now that I'm like running some of the stock at the store and stuff, like it also makes sense to like wait until you have like a a reasonably large quantity to order at the same time to like save on shipping and stuff. And I imagine that's a huge deal when we're talking about shipping to Australia. Um, you know, yeah, I would say it's even more complicated with what's going on in the world too, because like not to like get crazy, but like if they're trying to contain what's going on on their Island and the stuff's coming in, they got to make sure it's good. You know what I mean? So, so it's gotta be a, a longer process than it was before. And I mean, we all know it was a long process then they just, they just dunk the shipping container in bleach, you know, <laughs> they, they, they just like, you know, take a big vat of bleach. They just dunk the whole thing, take it out, ship it. It's all in plastic wrap. Like what's the big deal? Oh man. Uh, water <laughs> on that <damage>. note. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Water damage. There you go. Yeah. Um, how about we move on to our main topic? Get ready for advanced tactics. So our main topic today is we're going to continue our objective one-on-one series and talk today about payload. Payload, of course, being the Team Fortress style pushing a cart objective. Leads to a lot of dynamic play and interesting interactions or toilet bowling depending on how you set up the objectives <laughs> so what do you guys think how do you what do you think of this objective and how do you approach it oh what's a good way to start um well you need to be comfortable with moving that's the that's the primary thing and you have to have a plan for where you drop the box uh, you basically have to think about really hard where you put your objective down or your, your cart down first. Cause you put the carts down and then your opponent gets to pick what piece of terrain you got to drive the cart to. And, um, deployment is really important on this because there are some deployments that are really good for this and some that are really, really bad, depending on if you're red or blue. Um, the ones that are really, really bad are like hemmed in where 
you can basically start the payload in the middle of the map and it's a pretty short hop to anywhere for blue and then depending on where red puts theirs down um blue can just put their uh, the token for red on either side of that triangle and force uh, red to travel a very very long way by comparison and that's important because uh payload the amount of points you score is based on how close you get to that target so it's either uh, range two for one point, range one for two points, or base contact for three. And um, like the biggest consideration, I think, you know, first of all is, is it reasonable for me to expect to get my payload close? Or, you know, can I even score? Right? There's some situations like on disarray, where it's just too dang long, depending on what terrains in the way, where you have to go. So like, is it better for me to try to freeze my opponent's payload by aggressively contesting it? That is pushing all my unit leaders onto the payload to stop their cart from moving? Or is it a better idea to try to escort mine and play more defensively and move it in a safer fashion? And, um, and there are lots of situations and it's really important to measure here because there are some situations where even having your cart stopped once can be the loss because that one move is slightly longer than range one. It's um six, it's almost seven inches. So one move with the cart or the absence of one move with the cart puts you down a VP. So it's really important to, to be able to know um, how many moves it will take you, how many unit leaders are eligible to actually influence it in a given turn. There's a lot of angles at work here. And that doesn't even approach cover being granted by the payload itself and how that can change the battlefield as the turns progress because the payload is a heavy cover source. And so as that moves along, the battlefield changes and there are situations where if your payload moves, you're suddenly, you know, in the breeze and you got to be aware of that. Suck so that, I mean, that's, that, that, right. Yeah, that's the basic rundown. It's a lot of lot of ground to cover, but that's like kind of the the top of mind issues for me when I address payload. Yeah, I mean, um, this is this is probably one. It, this may be the most complicated objective to play in Legion, possibly. Um, yeah, you know it. So I think I think that there's two kind of frames of mind that you can start off the game playing um similarly to like playing aggressively on vaps um or and like separating your vaps as far as possible or trying to put them close together to create kind of a scrum you can influence the payload lines to um converge or diverge um and often one player is going to want them to diverge and the other player is going to want to um, have them converge. And so um, I think starting at turn zero, like the game can play out very differently depending on where the lines of the payloads actually cross, right? That, um, you know, uh, kind of crossing point is pretty much the bullseye for where the battle is going to take place, right? And if there's no bullseye, you know, Kyle, you mentioned kind of like circling the wagons, right? Um, it kind of turns into a more like old school breakthrough um, game where, you know, 
it's two ships passing in at the night kind of like firing off like a cannonade um to to see who can do more damage uh but but i think maybe more importantly than the the converge diverge situation and david you touched on this with um with hemmed in is mm-hmm. that asymmetrical deployment zones really sc- I don't want to say screw up, but they really change how this objective works, right? Um, and, and asymmetric deployment zones in in how we talk about this objective specifically is a little bit more than just, oh, I'm blue on hemmed in and you're red on hemmed in. It can be something like, you know, if somebody has a um, specific, like a terrain advantage as far as like where they can put their... Um, you know the the payload objective that is significantly farther away than the other person can put it things can get a little complicated in that fashion and so you really i mean i think the strongest advice i can give anybody before the game even starts is that if you don't know how to play payload and the game matters you should ban it <laughs> um because because the if there's an objective you're going to screw up in turn zero, this is it. Like, this is the objective that it, the, there's the most variables. It is most complicated to just lose the game before it even starts. Um, and so I would, I would say that if you're, if you're getting ready for a tournament, um, you know, and you either have, regardless of if you have payload in your deck or not, um, I think it's it's good to get a bunch of payload reps in and understand how the objective works, um, and clearly listen to the rest of what we're gonna say. But you know, I think in this situation, like there's there's not a lot that's going to replace just getting reps in because you're not gonna see the things that matter until you realize how they screwed you. Yeah, I mean, to speak off of uh, off of what you're saying here is an example is my Yavin base list with triple Mandos. I brought Vaps in that list because of I was familiar with it, but honestly, that list probably would be better with Payload. But I've played a total of three games of Payload. Um, like, you know, I understand this game quite a bit, and I feel like I could play a Payload game and be fine but I'm not comfortable enough with it to putting in, put it in a deck where a win matters. Right. And I'm understanding of that. Like I'm not trying to put myself in a situation where I can be like, well, payload's better for this deck. I don't have the reps in it, but I'm, I'm smart. I can play around that. No, I'm smart enough to be like, I'm cutting this card from my deck because I don't have the reps to feel comfortable to play it. Um, and I think that's important. Um, I mean, getting reps in now is, is tough. Obviously, like in real life games are hard to come by and you got to play tabletop simulator and that's where majority of the reps are right now, right? And if I'm playing mostly important games on tabletop simulator and I'm cutting payload, I'm getting no payload reps in. Whereas a local game night, I'll throw it in my deck just to practice it, right? Because there's nothing on the line. Um, so my payload experience is very low. Um, which is fine. I just need to find ways to get reps in with it to feel comfortable to put in the deck. Um, the thing about payload in, in from a competitive standpoint, and Mike, you, you alluded to a lot of these things is 
it's got a lot of variables. I don't like variables um, when playing competitive Legion. I'm, I mean, it's a fun objective. I think it's meant to be fun. I don't, I don't think it's meant to be like this competitive, like limp, right? It's not supposed to be like VAPS where VAPS is ultra competitive and when in a competitive setting and it creates, a, you know, sometimes it can create not a negative play experience, but a play experience where everyone's passing and, and like you said, the ships are, you know, circling each other payload. You can, you can basically where you put your payload and where you put your opponent's token, you can make it a fun game, quote unquote, fun game, right. By determining where the battlefield's going to happen. Like you said, where the lines are going to cross. So I think payload is meant to basically engage and to not create a play experience where you're both going to opposite sides of the corner of the board. Right. I think it's meant to be a game that is competitive and fun. But the issue is, and as you learn to play this game, if you're playing it competitively, mistakes and variables are not things you want in a game of Legion. Um, it's a basically the sports analogy that I, well, I always say it's a sports analogy because I played sports my whole life and, and I approach Legion the same way. And I played hockey my whole life and hockey is very similar in this way. And I probably have said it on this cast a million times and I'm going to probably say it again. I'm a broken record. It's fine. The first team to make a mistake usually ends up losing a, a big game, especially when skill level or list or lists are the same. If the skill level and the lists are on the equal playing field, the first person to make that mistake is most likely going to lose that game other than like a crazy play or some luck falling away. I'm not saying it's over when you make a mistake, but it basically goes from like an evil level to just real fast. Right. And payload can basically create that very early on more than other games, you know, other objectives in this game. Um, so I know like, like you said, turn zero basically determines the game and it does for a lot of matchups. Don't get me wrong, but I would say it determines it more so on payload than any other game, which I believe you said. So I'm just resonating the same thing that you're saying because I feel the exact same way. Yeah. It's, it's an objective that is designed to create conflict specifically, right? You have the objectives are not fixed. They're not in one place. And if you want, even if your opponent doesn't want this, you can usually set it up such that they're moving towards each other. So, um, you know, it's, it's sort of rare in that there's not a clear like attacker defender role in payload. You're kind of both attackers by default. Yep. Almost every other objective has some kind of attacker defender dynamic, even like recover the supplies where you have a box in the middle. That's the up for grabs victory point. Blue still starts in a position where they don't have to grab that middle box because if it's two, two on objectives and nobody kills anything and nobody grabs the middle box, then blue player wins. So even on like recover the supplies where there's a common objective in the middle, blue player has a slight, you know, starts with a slight advantage there and that the pressure is on red to get that box. But that's not the case with the payload. The pressure with payload is on both players to move their own payload to the enemy deployment zone. Because even, even like one turn of not moving a payload can really cost you. Yeah. So like, I was going to say there's an interesting dynamic, right? Because like you say, Kyle, it's not clear who the, who, you know, both players are kind of the attacker, right? 
it's not clear who can be the who can be the as you like to say beat down and control right so who who can have the edge and i think the answer is who can fight in a more direct way is probably going to be the one that wins if you're like an army that relies on distance um you're probably not going to be happy when those payloads cross paths because if you have to stand near this object to score something so in a way it's like intercept right except that the thing is moving constantly and so you need to be comfortable getting in someone's face um durable armies can do that um armies like uh palpatine are probably pretty good at payloads that cross because at some point your opponent is going to stand unit leaders in a spot and palpatine just needs to be range two at that spot and then it's on right lightning all over the place um the other part is that it's also that this objective is it's a moving piece that doesn't belong to your army right it, it's not able to be attacked it's only able to be stopped by contesting from your opponent or deflected by positioning of terrain and the bases of large vehicles. Now that's only if the payload lands on it, you only restrict where the payload can land. It can't land on vehicles. If I'm not mistaken, it, it can, it can displace when it lands, but it's only things that can be displaced everything else that can't land on it if I'm not mistaken, but it can fly over it. it. Its movement is not really defined, It's but it's closest, I think, to a repulsor vehicle, if I'm not mistaken. It kind of moves like a repulsor and then it flies over terrain and flies over objects. It, it... Yeah, um, and it uh, it's sort of, um, I don't know, like you, you, can, you can block this with a melee, um, and, and things and things of that nature right like there, right. there are some janky ways to um i shouldn't say janky there are some creative ways yes I, better word i, I, I <laughs> jank generally implies a negative connotation so i'm not yeah really yeah creative it. yeah um, it, is, it is yeah yeah there, there are some creative ways to get your opponents um you, you know bomb cart to to not move and you know i mean vehicles are particularly good at that you know if you drop like a tank in front of their bomb cart like <laughs> it's not really going anywhere yeah. right Re recently casted a game where the saber tank blocked the payload and that actually resulted in a no score game yeah the payload couldn't advance and then the, like the player down on points payload couldn't advance and then the other player who was down the other player uh his payload was was blocked because of contesting so they were just stuck and then it suddenly became a points game where both payloads were completely bogged down by the action on the board and so it just the game suddenly pivoted really sharply away from objectives like it was like we're going for objectives right up until turn six where it became evident that the board state wouldn't allow either player to score and so then the game immediately shifted into kill point mode and people were like doing all the counting like mad I do think that this objective overall, like you have to have like a, I shouldn't say super specific, but um, your, your army does need to be kind of built for this. You can't, you can't just like throw a payload in your battle deck and have it be fine. Like VAPs or, you know, you know, breakthrough or something. Um, right. In positions. Yeah. It's just, you, you can't do that. Like um, you've got to be able to have unit leaders, that not only can 
contest the objective but potentially contest your opponents which often tends to be the same thing in payload like like when it matters a lot of the unit leaders in the game are contesting both payloads a lot of the time like there's there's like generally like one to two turns that are like the pivotal turns in the payload game where they combine and whoever wins that scrum their payload moves and the other payload doesn't and and that's kind of a lot of times that can be the game and like <clears throat> armies that can move and shoot and don't rely on aim tokens are much better at this than armies that want to just like sit on their heels and kind of do nothing and wait for you to come to them. Um, you know, <clears throat> clones are obviously very good at this. Um, I think shore troopers are actually pretty good at this um, because they can pick up that aim token and move and then shoot with target. Right. Um, Iden ISF. Great. Uh, frankly, anything with the infiltrate keyword um, to kind of like, set up that bulwark ahead of where your payload's going to be you can kind of build a pocket um you know i th i think tons you know because they kind of contain your opponent tend to be pretty good at an objective like this the ton list can sometimes run into like issues with oh man you know they scoped you know they didn't scope but they, they just like shred the rebel troopers behind the tons and things can kind of go south if they're not careful um but i think generally speaking tons are pretty good at this objective um i don't know those are the, those are the lists that come top of head and top of mind that that i think stick out to me that are particularly good i think dro i think droids are good at payload because of the massive bodies that they can put on the payload um which i just think droids are all around good anyways um i mean kyle you play droids you probably know but like even so like all right let's put it this way kyle you probably bring payload in your deck if I had to take a guess with your Dooku stats list, because you have a sheer mass of bodies that can insulate your payload. Dooku can absolutely shred your opponent's payload when it matters. And your stats can also flank their payload and cause mayhem on the backside. Like if you take them as a flanking unit, which I'm sure you put use them in that list for that reason, you flank them and they hit your opponent's payload while you just have droid insulation on yours. So, um, I have to say, like when I see payload or key, or key positions when I'm playing against droids, I dread it because they're so hard to figure out on those two objectives. But since we're talking about payload, they're hard to figure out on payload because you need to figure out early on if you want to engage by killing the droids and trying to take away unit leaders with them or trying to insulate your own payload and make the droids make the mistake of like overextending and then taking the droids out. Like you have to like kind of time it right when you're playing against them is how I feel about it. Because if you do that timing in the wrong way, those droids are now also going to just overtake your payload while moving their own payload. And like we said, when your payload doesn't move and theirs is moving, you're in trouble. Payload my in my separatist list primarily because of Dooku, um, not necessarily because of the B ones. B ones are good at a lot of objectives like that because they can swamp them. It's not necessarily just unique to Payload. Um, I, we were discussing before the cast. Ironically, the only game I've lost with Dooku was Payload. <laughs> so you, you, you screwed that game up, though. <laughs> I know. I am fully aware. Um, it should it should be noted that separatists have 
Dooku, Grievous, and Maul, who are all arguably really good at this kind of objective. Dooku tanks too. Yeah, well, tanks yeah. too, right? So Dooku has you know his great command cards and cunning, which are great to like intercept the other payload. Grievous has the whirlwind, which is also good at like removing things on the payload. I know sometimes it can whiff, but it's still like a really good card for this kind of situation when you're converging on each other. And Maul is a red saving infiltrating Sith user with force choke and force push. Um, Like those are, and and that's why, like, I know I keep alluding to like B ones and staffs and stuff like that. The thing is that you can insulate your payload with those B ones and not have to worry about it because you have those powerful units that can back up and you're, you have to list build around them anyways, because that's what you have. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think to kind of what you're saying, Zach, uh, I mean, force users are, this may be the best objective for force users in the game. I think potentially, I'm not sure that we, we could have a conversation about that, but I think it's close if, if it's not. Um, but I think, um, kind of to to speak to the droid issues here um i think it kind of speaks to payload specifically like lists that don't throw a lot of raw dice don't like playing droids um generally um you know uh so you know Rebels, uh, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, yeah rebels. I mean, I mean, Mo- I mean, well, well modern rebels. R- rebels, no, but it's true. It's rebels true. tend to throw like high quality dice pools that are low in volume right yeah. now. That's kind of their thing, right? It's They're, like two or three, but it can get something through that cover right. pretty reliably. Right, Pierce, high velocity sharpshooter, yeah. blast, critical like one, four yeah. red yeah. dice on tons or the ton yeah. with charge. You know, none of those pools are extraordinarily huge unless you've got like mm-hmm. a tenacity ton or you've got like operative Luke with tenacity on them, right? right. Um, or at least their their large pools are not terribly consistent um you should give flamer rts an extra health <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> that would actually be pretty pretty tight i mean there, there are definitely <laughs> units in the rebel arsenal that that can do those things but they're not as as consistently good as the other things right um but i think more to the point in where we're talking about payload is that um if you're gonna play payload um, it's going to be a gunfight. It's going to be a range three gunfight at some point. And generally, whoever has more guns um, or more raw dice after cover is going to just win that fight um, a lot of the time. Um, it's clearly a little bit more complicated than that when you get like force users involved and stuff. But like a good rule of thumb is like you don't want to play payload if you think the opponent outguns you. Like you just you should just get rid of it because you're going to get into the fight where everybody's shooting at the same time and if you feel like you're going to lose that fight traditionally it like you know um if you're looking at the table and thinking okay well i really need like something like moisture vaps where like i can shave off an activation because it was misplaced or something and turn the tables like um you should be avoiding payload um I was going to say it's amplified also by the fact that every unit type is eligible to push the cart. So you can really get your whole army involved. It doesn't have to be just troopers or just a certain section of the army. They can all push. 
And, uh, you know, if you, if you ball up really tight, like CIS or clones are, are, you know, really good at, they gain a lot from balling up like that. Um, really makes it ideal. Of course, that makes you vulnerable to area of effect attacks, which we sort of covered by talking about Grievous, but, you know, explosions or now you will die or any of those other close range nukes that have, you know, multi multi-target you're, you can make yourself vulnerable to that. And heck, even just a Jedi, right? If you, if you ball up all together and you're all close enough, the Jedi can do the whole, you know, swing, sh grab another, swing, grab another kind of thing they do with force push. And um, going back to something we talked about a little bit ago, Dooku Maul, on a, on a Dooku's three pip turn, you could potentially nix five unit leaders. Like it's not unheard of. You shove one with the command card effect, you force push, choke off Dooku, and then Maul force pushes and chokes another two. So that so that's at maximum you could potentially push three leaders out or five leaders out. Yeah. So it's um, it's 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 a little bit you know, it's one of the theoretical maximums, but it's not you can't dismiss that when you're fighting a list like that. No, and so. and I do think that like if you're if you're in like one of the later turns of the game, <clears throat> that scenario is like much more likely than if you did it on turn like three or oh, four right? certainly yeah. when, when yeah. there's like random unit leaders running around and stuff i think i think you're probably going to average like three and a half units with that with that combo right probably. that like, sounds more like a, a a key positions magical christmas land more than a payload one <laughs> but, but still you have to brook it you know it's it's like that one percent that can still happen and steal a game away well i think maybe to your point david like to have that in your back pocket is very powerful, right? Yeah. <clears throat> like just being able to have access to three force push effects in a turn is like is really yeah. good, you know. I mean, and, one, and and one of them is a speed too, right? Yeah, I one mean, of them like, comes a speed too. <laughs> like it's uh, it, I mean, Vader's might gives you two, right? Right. Um, exactly. In, in, in operative Vader slash commander Vader is like not super good, but that card is hella good you know it's just like oh i get to do whatever i want this turn and um you know and if you save it for the last turn similarly to like where you, what you're talking about is super powerful um right. you know if you go last with dooku or like second to last force push two things basically and then force push something else with maul like you can you can go up by three without swinging a lightsaber without yep. without doing any damage right Yep. And uh, all you need are the positional effects. Exactly, you know, and yeah. and that's pretty huge. Yeah, that's another that's another thing about those cards is that they have no random element. They're just do this, <laughs> and and that's really like the cool part about the game is you know people like to complain about dice results and things like that, but there are tons of elements of the game that are non-random, and positioning is one of those things. That's that's the skill element there, do and knowing that your opponent can do certain moves is also a skill element. Did we actually talk about randomization last week, or is that something we just like talked about in chat? I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. So the short answer is no. We have done an episode. I think it was one of our very first episodes. So maybe we need to revisit this topic, but basically about managing risk and reducing yeah. variance. So yeah. we could probably revisit that topic. That was actually like uh, one of the very first articles I ever wrote. Yeah. No. <laughs> totally. And and David, like you brought up the fact that like force push is like it just happens right and and that's something we don't talk a lot about like we a lot of times we're like oh force push is really good you should never go home leave home without mm -hmm. it right one like 
one of the main reasons for that is like you can't like it just happens it's, yeah you can't it, whiff right you you can never whiff with forest i mean unless you're dead i mean unless like, you're you are not in range <laughs> right but, you know if yeah. you're in range you're gonna get it right you, you know when you're gonna be able to use it it's not like you wound up a you know a, a saber shot with luke and just totally whiffed and like you're kind of you're you're out now right um Oh yeah, and so like whiffing, a, whiffing with Luke is terrible. By the way, it, I, it's happened. It happens too. It, it, it is, it is. All right, not to like go on a tangent real quick. That is arguably one of the worst feelings in like the history of Star Wars Legion is when you whiff with Luke Skywalker. I know of all people. <laughs> I mean, it seems it seems like it happens with him the most. Commander Luke specifically, uh, Jedi Luke doesn't really whiff, but those six black dice. Don't get me wrong; they can be amazing. But I've definitely had games where I'm like, I just need one, I just need one hit to kill this guy, and then I roll all blanks on six black dice. I'm like, oh. I think I think that's how Luke probably felt on Bespin too. You know, um. <laughs> I know. I was actually just thinking of that scene. I was like, man, that's the scene where he like he like nicks Vader on the shoulder, and then Vader just like kicks his ass. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it just like I think it makes sense. You know, um, he's untrained yeah so let's so we've kind of already started doing this but let's let's like segue to what what lists and what units are good at payload and which ones are not uh well i mean the obvious one is clones of any stripe really um i don't mean that iron i don't mean that ironically i mean that's literally they're super good at it they Stand are by sharing notwithstanding but but i w- i would like to point out that phase ones are significantly worse at this objective than phase twos accurate be- because it is far less like 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 phase twos like it feels like they're never suppressed but if you're not taking courage two core units and clones like there's actually not a lot of suppression management within yeah. that within the clone shell right which which i think is why phase twos are so prevalent to some degree which again, conversation for another time. But I do think if if there's phase ones on the other side of the board, I think it's much more manageable. Yeah, high save, like high body count, high save is just really good. And like even higher body count, no save is also really good. I think for different I think reasons. It, I think it's basically any list that feels confident in a gun line and also has a centerpiece that could also flip the game on its head. Like, I'm not saying like, so if you look at like a list like Iden Shores, um, I know Infiltrate's really good for payload and I know that Tax Strike is also a really good card, but there's like a little, like, if you're running like the variant that has the three mortars, um, I don't know if you want payload. Um, basically the reason why I say that is because you're, you have three activations of mortars that can that are either going to be a liability or they're not going to be moving. Um, and I know that you have all the other activations that can handle it. I get that. But like you, as soon as you lose one of those mobile activations, let's say you lose an ISF squad, right? You now have three mortars that if they want to move, they're going to get killed because they're only three health. Right. Or, they're hanging back so they don't die and they're not moving with the payload. So your flexibility with your units that can mobilize with it is kind of hard. Whereas let's say 
you're bringing like a, I know we talked about clones, but let's say you bring like a clone list with like Obi-Wan or Saber Tank. And it's built around being a gun line with a centerpiece. I feel like you feel probably more in command than you would a list that doesn't have that gun line and a centerpiece, which circles around to force force users. But I wanted to mention like the Saber Tank and like the AAT. And I think, uh, Mike, you mentioned tanks when I was talking about, you know, droids. Like Saber Tank and AAT are really good at this objective because they they aid the gun line by being really strong long-ranged units that are beefy defensively but man you ever seen you have you ever seen that base move it moves so like if you need those tanks to start moving up to move your payload they can get there really quickly and also shoot you in your face because like of the range aspect and how fast they can move along the battle um you can just strafe I right. think, yes. I mean, yeah, straight, strafe is unbelievable. If, if you haven't strafed with one of those vehicles and when you finally get like a strafe that means something, you realize how good strafe actually is. Um, I think the conversation about what lists are good with payload is also a little bit diluted because, and what I mean by that is the majority of us play on tabletop simulator right now because of what's going on in the world and the maps are a known quantity. If you're showing up to a tournament tomorrow and you don't know what your terrain is looking like, a list that actually wants payload might not bring payload. Um, you know, th that's a topic for another discussion, but like maps mean a, a whole lot in payload. Uh, where you place your payload, how your payload moves, where the area that it's moving around. There are lists that literally you can look at and be like, oh, that is a great list for payload. And then you look up and you see the map and you're like, I don't want to bring payload. Um it's kind of, a, it's, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of lists that actually want to bring payload, but it, it circles back to something that we started at. And, and it's something that I have personally, I have little experience with it. I won't bring it when it matters. Um, so it's important to get those reps in. Cause I do think a lot of lists actually like payload. Yeah, and just as far as the terrain aspect is concerned, I actually, as someone that tends to run like a force using centerpiece plus a gun line, I actually like that you have some control over where the battle's gonna happen. So when you're playing any sort of force user, line of sight blockers and their location is always an extremely important thing to evaluate when you're looking at a table. And most objectives, the action takes place near the center, right? So if you have a line of sight blocker near the center and you have Dooku or Palpatine or Vader or Luke or Obi-Wan, you're feeling pretty good about it. But if the objective is near the center and there's no line of sight blockers there, you're feeling a lot less good about bringing that force user. But with payload, you have some control over where that battle is going to happen. And it's pretty unusual for a table to have like no line of sight blockers on it. Don't get me wrong. I've seen some tables like that. And if that happens, you're just, you're in trouble anyway. But usually there's going to be some somewhere. And with payload, you have some control over like where those paths are going to converge. So just for me personally, like if you have a force user, you can control to some degree where that is. And you, you want to force your opponent's payload to go past a line of sight blocker, ideally. And you can usually set that up, even if there's not ones in the center. Yeah, I agree. I also think that um, we tend to talk about vehicles 
um, in in that they aren't super viably competitive. Um, I think this is one of the two objectives, uh, bombing run being the other, where vehicles are actually much more viable than we would like consider them traditionally. Um, you know, vehicles can do a number of things on this objective. We've already talked about blocking it and stuff like that. But, but I, but I do think that any, any list that has like a pretty mobile vehicle with armor that has like high wounds, um, is, is like worth, it's worth talking about payload. Like an ATSD is like actually pretty good at payload. I think, um, it can kind of just walk right up there with it, open up, like it's going to scare your opponent's units out of like a, a, away from the path you're, you're kind of trending towards. Um, I mean, you probably still want to bring like a repair bot or R2D2 if you're like in a rebel or well, rebels don't really have a heavy that, um, works super well with payload. I mean, they don't Accurate. like the, their heavies are much more glass cannons, right? Like, yes, th- you know that's kind of like the rebel thing is they're they're very like Eldar glass cannony. They hit and run, you know. They shoot and scoot like that's their thing. Um, but but I do think that like all the other factions like have a have a heavy that's like boom, like this is escorting the payload. You know you probably have to kill it anyways, so I might as well murder most of your army with it. Um, so. Uh, the saber is probably you know we've touched on the saber already, but I do think that um, this is an objective where vehicles are active. Some vehicles are actively good, and I think it's important to stress that. And I also think like you know while rebels may not have a vehicle that works in the same way as like a saber tank or an ATST or an AAT, like if you time your airspeeder attack well, like you can displace a bunch of important units or, or like come in on a last activation and like completely block their bombing run. And then like just scoot out on the first activation. And, and like, that's actually like very powerful and relevant, you know, when you can just be like, okay, I'm going to move, move, move and just block your payload. Right. And with this thing that was like, I don't know how far an airspeeder triple move is, but it's it's got to be. Jeez, it's got to be a lot because it's what speed three on a big base. It's it's about thirty inches. Yeah, right. Roughly. So we're talking yeah. like almost three feet. You know, you, you can be like three <laughs> feet away from something and just be like, boom! Now your yep, payload can't move. move, right? And like, you're not going to be able to do do that every time. But if you set it up correctly, and this is kind of where like the planning comes into the payload thing is you have to plan that in advance right you got to know where their payload's gonna be you got to make sure your airspeeder can get there you got to make sure your orders are right on the right turn um it's not impossible but it's definitely like it's a thing that can happen and um i mean you could you could do that with any vehicle i just i'm using the airspeeder as an example because it's probably the mo- the best at being um flexibly fast and at least doesn't immediately die if it gets like attacked in the open like like you could do it with staps but like they're just gonna get immediately shredded right like you know at least an airspeeder is not if if it's a full health like it's probably not gonna die to one attack unless you're playing against clones or something when they've got a bunch of aim tokens um so 
that's just something to consider vehicle players out there rejoice and put payload in your decks um you know and even if you can't stop if you you can't freeze the payload if you put that base in front of it you can cause it to deflect and even that minor that small deflection away from the shortest path that can cause a win over like a couple turns so don't be afraid to just just put it in there and try to prevent that payload from moving forward just get it in the mix and see what you can do with it it might be a little scary if your opponent has a saber user obviously saber user is really good they like it when vehicles drive up close because it makes it really easy <laughs> to kill them but especially the occupier oh my gosh um want to get me started on how hard luke sabine wrecks the occupier it's unbelievable um <laughs> so yeah just just be aware of that at least but yeah aats right on strafe away shoot everything up and try to get try to get in there and, and get your opponent off course it can actually make their army walk somewhere that's not great for them and then you get like this sort of uh pile on effect over a course of turns or your opponent is forced further and further away from where their army would ideally like to stand to get cover and that just makes it easier for your vehicle to shoot them down because vehicles hate things in cover it it's also worth noting you know we've talked about payload devolving into a gunfight right and a lot of the time not all the time but a lot of the time if you like put your vehicle somewhere where it's going to deflect or completely stop their payload they have to shoot it like they don't have a choice or they're just going to lose the game which a lot of the time can free up your other units to actually go ham and just open up kind of willy-nilly you can you can take the aim shoot actions or whatever that you need to kind of grind out your opponent's battle line um a lot of times you'll be trading out when you do that right you should expect to lose the vehicle <clears throat> like i think anytime you you put a vehicle regardless of it's a saber or an aat in front of your opponent's army and say shoot this with everything um it it probably you should expect it to die even if it doesn't like an aat can sometimes get through an entire turn of shooting and be okay um but a lot of times you can you can trade out well specifically on this objective i think um yeah if you've got firepower behind it now if you took some like crazy list where it's just a heavy and a bunch of naked rebel troopers or naked stormtroopers that's probably less of a good idea but if you actually took a gun line behind it i think it's actually tenable and sometimes you could even trade your vehicle for the win because if that vehicle stops the payload and your opponent doesn't score that that vp you just win the game by sacrificing your heavy right and and that's why they have to shoot it right like right, exactly. you know th- there there's no if i mean if they've correctly identified the situation um yeah. if they haven't you've already won probably yeah you've already won <laughs> here's there yeah, just by virtue of being one of the handful of objectives that vehicles can actually explicitly score. I think basically if you have vehicles in your list, you should just take payload and not think yeah. twice about it. Yeah, you would take payload. You'd probably swap out, what, evaporators? You'd definitely like breakthrough payload. Depends. Uh, key positions. No, I think you Some want Some vehicles vaps. are pretty good at VAPs. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, you can alpha strike on VAPs. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not even that. It's you have you have a long range option that can whittle your opponent away and they can't whittle you back because they don't have the range power to kind of like to, to like get at it it, de- it depends, depends on, on what it depends on the matchup yeah like um 
I think you still mostly want VAPs though. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's it's a it's a controlled variable. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, like AATs yeah. are really good at, at sniping activations. If they yeah. if they ever ATSDs are too. Nerf arc strike strike teams. I will totally get behind vehicles taking VAPs. Until then. Oh yeah, arc strikes still shred <laughs> like, vehicles like, of all Yeah, if, if you can't yeah. hide your vehicle, and you're playing against arc strikes, it's a liability. It, you, I mean, you're just you're. You should just, whether you're blue or red, you're red. You should just uh, resign yourself to that at the beginning of the game. Yeah, but the thing about that is you can't you you can't not take an objective over one unit. That's the thing. Like, it's still going to be viably good against everything else except for that one unit. I So, I don't want to get super far down this rabbit hole. I, I think that <laughs> yeah. generally that's right. I think it's a little bit different when we're talking about the thing that's you're dying to is the best unit in the game, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yes. Say but, on the prevalence, right? But well, well, the thing about that, right, is is that we are always talking about the magical Christmas land that is tabletop simulator that allows you to play triple arcs. Whereas you go to an actual tournament right now, you might not have triple arcs because they were hard to come by. Um, like we're not dealing with the physical aspect that could actually change that. Um, so like it's, it's, it's something hard to quantify because we're living like our actual meta is revolving around being able to play all those arc troopers. Whereas it might not be the case if we were playing in real life right now. Yeah. But you can't make strategic choices based on stocking issues. Well, no potential stocking issues. Cause some, some dude's going to like, if you're, if somehow we had Adepticon tomorrow, like, some dude is going to be able to buy three arcs, and you need to have a plan for that situation. Well, not yeah. only that, but like, and if I agree with that. Was tomorrow like seventy percent of the field would probably be playing. That might be a little right. high, but like that's high. Like that's a, high. A, 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 I think that we would all expect the majority, the the highest portion of the field to be clones, right? Yeah. I still, I still don't think you can you can base your battle deck as an AAT player, let's say, right? As an example, I still don't think you base your, your deck off one unit, regardless well, of how prevalent they might be. We can, we've, so I want to focus this back on payload a little bit uh, because we've had, <laughs> we've had this discussion, not specifically about arcs necessarily, but just about like anticipating a meta and building shores a list and for that meta. Yeah, probably. Yeah, when, probably shores. The, yeah. Um, that is a whole separate discussion. The short version is you should try and figure out what people are going to bring and what's going to be successful and make sure you have a plan for whatever that thing is. Right now that thing is Rexstar or Arcstar clone lists. Um, you know, by the time we have an actual real big convention tournament, which is the environment that you really need to care about this for, I don't think this is as big of a discussion for like primes or where you're only playing three to four games. Um that may be totally different, but bottom line is you need to figure out what, what you think the meta is going to be, what you think the lists to beat are going to be, and you do need to make decisions around those lists specifically. Now, now you see, Zach, I'm an expert at losing strike teams. I can attest to this. Yeah, I know. It's actually happened to me twice now at major tournaments. One game I recovered from, one game I didn't. Um, but, but the, the, um, the trick of course is flying your, you know, playing advanced positions and deploying your AAT where you can see both arc minis. 
and uh, praying they don't have surges. <laughs> that's the yeah. That's the trick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, vehicles are good at eliminating activations, but Mike has a good point in that. It's currently. Only two wounds, <laughs> right? In that, you know, it's a lot of points. It's something that's basically impossible to hide. And in a world where you have a you know a range five aim sharing weapon with critical and and lethal, um, it's kind of a liability. Yeah, I mean, I like you. You, you have to anticipate over the course of six turns that you're going to lose that vehicle if you do nothing but sit on your hands and defend. I, I mean, it's it is not unreasonable for arc strikes like by themselves to kill any tank in like three turns with with yeah. the with the right amount of aim tokens. Like it's like it's just what they. It's something. I mean, they're really good at a lot of things, but like. You know, taking a 160 point tank off the table is is a thing, and so I just not to. I think we're like super off the rails on the payload thing at this point, but um, <laughs> not, I mean, you know, sometimes your payload well, comes off the rails, and that's kind of how the game goes, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I mean, they're still good at payload, though. <laughs> they are, you know, and and I don't think that like you should play every game, you know, just expecting to to lose, but but I do think that like when you sit down across the table from somebody on turn zero, you know, I, I think that you need to start making decisions based on the list. And one of those decisions is like, I don't want to be playing X against, you know, in this situation. Right. Um, well, and I, I've definitely had situations like the one where you described where we've ended up on VAPS and I'm blue player, but after deployment, I'm like, before any dice are rolled, I'm like, I'm red player. Essentially, I have to attack because I'm guaranteed to lose a unit. Right, and um, and it, it's not a great feeling. <laughs> no, that, I, no, that's and that's a problem I have with like the FD turret. You know, I played an FD in um, what was that season three, season four? What what season are we on for Invader? I think uh, we're going into six. Going, going into, into six. six. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, it was four. The one I ran Jedi Luke. I played an FD, which was great, but also like on evaporators, that thing is a straight liability because you cannot retreat it. So yeah. there were several VAPS games where I'm starting the game and I'm like, at some point over the course of six turns, this FD cannon is going to die and I cannot just defend. I need to contest a VAP basically from turn one. Um, and I think the true same can, same can be said of heavy vehicles when you're facing basically anything you can't hide when you're facing arc snipers or possibly like an Iden tactical strike list also comes to mind. So um, yeah, way off topic. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you might as well, you know, while we're off topic, might as well call the uh, the FD turret the SD turret when you're playing a, a, a evaporator game like that, as it's a sitting duck. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, they're good at defense, but the fact that, at least to me personally, the way that I that I play, not being able to retreat a unit feels really bad. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like you should just have the option to just delete an FD turret yourself. <laughs> And your opponent doesn't get the points. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like that's not how the game works. I mean, there. No, I know. There's there an Age of Empires. You can delete a building, right? Well, <laughs> I I do think that you know, kind of maybe seg segueing a little bit more into the payload discussion. I think that there are ways to play these units unconventionally. Um, that that make up for some of these like bad matchups, right? Like you can put an FD turret in the back of your deployment zone, right? It's not going to do much there, but it's much less liability, much less of a liability if it's, you know, your opponent has to like dive an extra range band or two to get to it, right? Um, if all of a sudden their snipers have to be in the middle of the board to shoot your FD turret, um, 
like it's it's clearly going to be a lot off less offensively good but you're still protecting your vaps and you're still you know doing stuff like that i think the same thing can be said of vehicles right like leave the vehicle in the back of the deployment zone if you're playing against you know strike teams make them make them reach you know sniper reaches far but it's not you know um, it's not the infinite range that it used to be. God, if arc strikes were infinite range, man, that'd be real good. Um, <laughs> you know, I have. I'm so Cassians. glad they're not. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Without cumbersome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and infinite aim tokens. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I do think that there are ways to play a little unconventionally to mitigate some of these circumstances, and I think that. When you're playing payload, you need to sort of think like that. You need to start thinking a little bit more outside the box when it comes to dealing with objectives. You know, I think once we do get start putting stuff on real tables, like the vehicle meta, I mean, I'm sure that there are local metas that are different, but generally speaking, like the vehicle meta is not a huge thing overall, at least in the competitive community. But like somebody's going to show up to a competitive event with a saber tank and just block people's payloads all day and try and force payload. And it's going to, it's going to be great for them, you know? Um, and so I, I think one of the things that I really like about these new objectives, payload included, is that they kind of change completely what units are good and how you play the game. Hostage is probably a little bit less so, but bombing run and, and payload are both like, units that are not traditionally very good are actually pretty good at that objective. So let's pivot real quick to one last thing about payload before we close this out. And that is essentially, how do you know when to like dive on your opponent's payload and contest it versus just kind of sitting back and trying to just conservatively push yours? Um, I think it depends on the wounds exchanged on the battle. Um, I th and it obviously it depends on what your list makeup is too. Um, but like when the payloads, like they're, when they're starting to really start cross paths and they're starting to get, you know, closer and closer. If, if you have basically dealt a lot of wounds to your opponent and their firepower to exchange back to you is way less. I feel like the opportunity for you to kind of go up and try and tie up their payload because you have the mass bodies behind you that they now lack because you whittled them down and they haven't whittled you back is something to be aware of. Um, vice versa now is that if you're being whittled down by your opponent and you're afraid that you're going to lose track of your payload, is that you might be able to also now engage your opponent in like melee and stop their payload and also be safe depending on what, when the timing is right. So I think it really ultimately boils down to it is a fluid situation. I don't think there actually is a set in stone answer. It's a fluid situation on who has exchanged more wounds and what units are involved in doing so. Um. So I, I don't know. I think it's a complicated situation, but I also think that it's like very easy to overcomplicate. My stance on this is you move your payload and then when your payloads cross, 
you tag their payload and whoever wins that fight just wins and and like that battle occurs whenever the payloads cross um it can be a lot more complicated than that and i think that the the discussion really is revolves around um the the victory point totals like it, you know it may not even make sense to shave a move off your opponent's payload if you're good right like it, it it really depends on the situation um but but i do think that more often or not than not you know if the payloads are crossing and they probably should be as we've discussed in a payload game like somebody should have made that decision for them to cross or someone made a wrong decision likely um like there's just going to be a point where somebody's going to be able to basically tag both payloads at the same time um and, and I, that feels sort of inevitable to me. And I don't really feel like you have a ton of control over when that happens. Like it's like, be, and, and the reason I say that is because you can't really afford to like dilly dally on your payload and like choose the timing of when, when this is going to happen. Um, I mean, like clearly you can try and cross the lines, but like it's, it's kind of awkward because you you want the engagement to happen closer to you than to them but if it happens closer to you than to them their payload has moved farther which is uh, kind of not great because that means that you're probably on turn like three or four on your side of the field and your payload still has a ways to go um but but you can be like sitting in a more defensive position and kind of offensively taking care of their units so I think that you really want to build a situation where you're meeting in the middle of the battlefield almost exactly. And when I say middle, not like dead center, but like middle of the paths and just hash it out. Um, I, th I think most payload games are determined right in the center of the board. And generally whoever wins that scrum takes both payloads um, much of the time. So this might seem like a super basic question, but keeping in mind the timing of when payloads are dropped and then subsequently when terrain pieces are selected, where should you put your payload in your deployment zone? Close to the center as possible, generally speaking. That's, I don't know if it's as simple as you think it is. I mean, I, I think that's a good rule of thumb is like, maybe maybe close to the center is not the right way but like the 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 closest place that touches everything your opponent controls right like yeah um, yeah you, you know I, which which sometimes is the center sometimes it's i mean it's often the center right mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think of a scenario where it's not and it's probably on like danger close danger close is you know? super awkward for payload yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it can get a little weird yeah. Um, maybe advanced positions, maybe, no, you're really just putting it in the, in the crook of the L there. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I, um, I can see, I could see it maybe on hemmed in if like there was some clear targets or whatever. Um, but, but I think, I think that that's pretty close to it. Like put it as close to your opponent's deployment zone as you can. Um, you know, well, it's, I think it's actually likely as close to the center of the table as possible. 
because, you know, like there are some weird deployments where your opponent could select a terrain piece that's not actually close to their own deployment zone, but it's just really far from your payload. That, that's yeah. totally fair. That's, see, that's where the complication comes in, is not knowing where your opponent's going to put the token. Um, and, and my complication, basically caveat, is it depends on list makeup. Um, I think that there are lists that you'll see on the table and you'll put a token somewhere where you like you'll enter the game thinking oh if i play payload i'll put it over here right but then you see your opponent's list and you actually put it the complete opposite way because you need to either force the engagement earlier than you would normally want or delay the engagement more than you normally want um like an example is i played against a, against a double aat list on payload and logically speaking without seeing your opponent's list and you have payload on the table you put the payload center of the board and you go and you're thinking you're going to go towards your opponent's deployment zone right um or i you know you put your tokens in somewhat of the same area and you force the engagements to happen even if your payload actually has to travel a longer distance because if you do put it in the spot that you think it's going to be in you're now going to expose yourself and have no chance is, is the way I felt in this matchup. Like if I, like basically if I juked left, I would get obliterated by the double AATs. Whereas if I juke right, I actually force the engagement to happen in an area that benefits me more. Now that's super, super game dependent. It's super list dependent. I'm not saying it's going to happen often, but it's going to happen where you're going to try and force an engagement because if you don't, you'll end up in a situation that's bad, I think. I mean, I guess... I think that part of this is kind of to circle back to the timing question. I think a lot of this, these turn zero choices in where you put your payload really speaks to, like, if if you're going to make a decision on when you engage, you're making it on turn zero when you place your payload and you place the tokens that they're going to. Like Yeah. Like it's you, it's you, determined you right then and there. You don't get to choose when all of those things happen after turn zero. Like they're going to happen at a predetermined time. Like you're gonna set things down and they're gonna collide on turn four or turn five or, or whatever. And, and so I think they, when you're talking about where you're putting, like the closest to the center of the battlefield is the most flexible place for you to do that. It also affords you the most flexibility in timing in that, you know, if you need, if you can delay and still make it to your payload point, that's the most reasonable place to put it to allow yourself a, like a like a like a dead turn that's not super likely especially if you've got an opponent that knows what they're doing um i mean it's just like it's it's very difficult to delay intentionally and still win the game um but there are there are definitely situations where it's right um 
I'd say as a general rule, you you need to make a goal of pushing your payload every single turn. Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. It has to. I mean, I mean, that's kind of like a, you know, like you're playing hemmed in and you know you're you were super close already you know like there are scenarios where maybe you can take a turn off but you shouldn't There's, you shouldn't yeah. count on it yeah right i think i think the edge cases whereas you can take a turn off is 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 like is if your tokens in a spot where it's easy for you to get there in less turns or if you have an alternative win win condition like secret mission or, or bounty that could aid you in like let's say you're pushing your payload and you go up in points with like a bounty hunter, right? And you say to yourself, well, if I just get to to range, you know, the scoring range of two points rather than touching and getting three points, but I have this bounty, I can tie the game and essentially win, right? Um, it, it, it's all going to come down to the, the basics of any other objective, which is counting and doing math and, and making sure that your win conditions are in place. There's just more variables to it than you're used to kind of yeah i i will say that probably less bounty but but secret mission is pretty clutch on payload payload yeah, often yeah. goes like zero zero one one and secret mission just steals the game especially because like a lot of the time if you're like r2 is like out in you know the middle of a field a hundred yards away from everybody like your opponent really can't afford to take a unit out of their gun line when the fight happens right so um payload might be r2's best objective because you kind of have to and maybe not in terms of how it affects the game but what i mean is like his survivability goes up like exponentially because if you know where the payload's going to go you deploy him in a spot where you know the payload's not going to go and your opponent has to make a decision to either separate from their payload to deal with R2 or just stay with the payload and deal with the consequences. Um, and I think we saw that with Evan's game in Yavin base, right? Is R2 won the game for Zeus juice uh, strictly because Evan couldn't stop the payload. Now Evan tried to stop the payload. Like he understood he needed to stop that payload to stop R2 from scoring to win the game. He was unable to stop that payload and R2 won the game. But that was because R2 had a piece of the battlefield that he just kept on waltzing by. Because yeah. if Evan because if Evan did break away from his payload, Luke Skywalker was going to come mess him up. So like the opportunity for R2 to score is probably higher on payload than any objective, I would think. I mean especially you can force battle lines or disarray. Totally. Right? Disarray, especially, because disarray is like has one of the highest no score payload potentials because it's I think it's the deployment zone the deployment setting with the smallest total area which means it should have the longest paths possible because you can technically go from let's say you go from like the closest to the mid and then you just pick the opposite short edge <laughs> to force your opponent to walk to it's awful you might actually break it so that you can't ever score yeah no I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that there there may be a question there on those two things should never be in the same battle deck. Um, I mean, you could just all in on secret mission. You but, you totally you, know. you you very well could right yeah, like you could. That's true. Um, I mean, like you could take like a double secret mission republic list, right? And, yeah, totally. And kind of kind of go in on that, and, and I think 
um you know padme is also very good on this objective generally um you know uh she can hold her own a little bit better than r2 can clearly she's a lot more points um she does a lot of other interesting things but you know um this is a situation where like on payload sometimes you can like wait until you go last and then actually like infiltrate her into your opponent's deployment zone like really safely at the beginning of the right. game like i i've done that before like if it's like advanced position or something you just like drop her behind a rock in your opponent's deployment zone and you're like well this is the game now <laughs> yeah i get a, get a free vp nice and, and it just sits there um yeah so just something to consider in that vein too um but i mean clearly bounty also can kind of do that to the game it's just it's less um consistent yeah yeah less consistent less controllable right like your opponent has to put somebody in a vulnerable position for that to happen um so and any final payload thoughts practice 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 and if you haven't practiced don't take it to a tournament and if you haven't practiced ban it in a tournament um and i mean unless you unless you don't care but but um definitely the the more practice if if you're going to practice an objective this is the objective you should be practicing right now yeah and it's worth setting like it's sort of just habit to go through the turn zero process when you're practicing for a tournament. But I think this is one of those situations where if you've got a good practice partner, you just sort of both agree, all right, we're just going to play payload. You know, we can go through turn zero and V2, the other stuff, but our objective for this game is payload. Yeah. Just to specifically practice it. And I also think that like when it comes to playing practice games, like you can almost just like lay clear conditions down pick an objective pick a deployment and just play it like there are there are certain deployments that like you should know how to play and like like clearly you should know how to play disarray but like you can play that a lot less than the other deployments right like disarray is a lot i mean it's more common now than it used to be but um some deployments just don't see a ton of play Danger close. I love that deployment, man. I love it. It is. I want to spend a day in your brain then, because I hate it. It's like (laughs) so up my alley. I love danger close. It It maybe makes me like danger close and hemmed in are like my two favorite deployments in this. Oh, see, I like hemmed in. Danger close makes me feel so uncomfortable. I feel like I'm making the wrong decision so many times when I'm deploying a unit. Um, and I don't like it. I don't like feeling uncomfortable, which is why I don't play Payload because well, <laughs> so I haven't practiced it. I, I like game states where like it's really difficult to make good choices because I think those are the most interesting games. When, when people are actively making mistakes and they maybe don't know it, even if they're really good, like... If you're if you're playing a danger close game and you're playing with like two high competitive players, like somebody definitely screwed up in turn zero, and like somebody definitely screwed up the deployment, and people are like, I don't know. I think it just forces some awesome game states. Um, I it's it's the only deployment I think I've actually felt nauseous setting up the game. <laughs> like, oh, totally. No, no, totally. Like that is one hundred percent how I felt the last time I played danger close, which I haven't played it often. But like, 
I deployed and I was like, I feel sick to my stomach because I don't know if I deployed correctly. And that's not something I normally feel like. I feel like I'm pretty good positionally when I, when I play Legion. And if I don't feel like I'm in position, I literally feel like I'm going to puke because like I'm now off kilter. Like I am now completely not centered to what I'm used to at least. Yeah. I, I just love the possibility of like, you know, turn one, turn zero. I scout my DTs or arcs in that like range three band turn one. I immediately activate them and take a range two range two shot at this unit. You deployed super horribly. And like the, all of a sudden the game is just like, you, you know, what's funny is like it really game, fast, much more game, so than our objectives. <laughs> you know, what's funny though is like danger close on the face of it is probably really good for like secret mission. But then oh, I deploy. It's super awesome for secret. I, yeah, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's like tabletop simulator maps, or maybe it's because I've played on Star Killer like a couple times. But like danger close on on the Star Killer map on tabletop simulator. If you're on one side of the board and you think like danger close is really good for secret mission, it's actually got like that tower that's in like a really bad spot and it will leave you completely exposed from the opposite side of the table. And I'm always, and maybe it's because I've played Danger Close on that map like like two or three times, and I'm just like, oh, this is great for secret mission. And then I deploy, and I'm like, shit, this is not good for secret mission. <laughs> well, it's it's notable that Danger Close is the best deployment for Padme because of that. Like you can, yeah, you can. I should say it was R two, not Pad. I should say yeah. it was R two, not Padme. You, you can almost guarantee that you go last as like blue player and like infiltrate into their deployment zone and be able to almost immediately retrieve her safely like the first action of the game is you just being like oh this victory point's mine i'm just going to run back to my deployment zone now and um it's so good i think you did that last invader and you messaged us and i was like excuse me what did you just say i did i did i think david's camera's frozen again (laughs) that's a pretty good still though (laughs) we should leave that (laughs) one (laughs) you can't the rain is pounding now. It's okay. We can't hear you either. You're breaking up pretty good. Yeah. Let's let's wrap this puppy up. I yeah, think. I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, we are the notorious scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. I'm surprised we heard David. I'm Zach. And we'll see you next week. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Bye.